Well, welcome to the show, another installment of Cast of the Unplucked Gems. Uh, and we have a true gem for you this week. As we go album by album, this week we have Fully Completely. But first, I want to say hi to my good friends, Brad and John, contributors on the show. Hello, guys. Hey, Steve. Hello. And of course, Matt is behind the board today, uh, doing a great job uh, cutting out all of the... Uh, terrible things that we say and uh, <laughs> looking for those little blips. What do you call them, Matt? Peaks. Peaks. There we go. Okay, so here we one are. Right there. Was there one there? Yeah. <laughs> Confirmed? Okay, then. Fully completely. If you have just one hip album, this is probably it. This is the album that upped the temperature for this band in this country and put them into a rolling boil. They were no longer a young up-and-coming band. Coming off the heels of their Road Apples success, fully completely landed them with a resounding message. The tragically hip are Canadian rock stars of the highest order, unsurpassed. But this album was not all the band dreamed it to be. Paired with producer Chris Sangaritas, MCA was hopeful to get a more American radio-friendly sound. The band describes being out of their comfort zone, Sinclair says he had his way of doing things. It was by the books. There wasn't a lot of ensemble writing. In retrospect, we, re we realized how incredibly naive we were. What? The band shouldn't be around for the mix? Something that the band thought at the time. They obviously knew they were in good hands though. Uh, the, the album got huge in Canada, immediately selling 300,000 records and would eventually top one million in their home country. But success still remained elusive in the land of music industry giants. The land of the free, America. Sinclair said, Gee, we sold 300,000 copies of this record in Canada. There's 10 times as many people in the States. So 10 times 300,000 is... I think I'm gonna be moving to next door to Bruce Springsteen. We're gonna be huge, just wait. Two weeks before the record comes out, all the record company is saying is, it's gonna be big boys, look out. Then the week after, no one returns our calls. That's the way it is. Excerpts taken from the book have not been the same, the Can Rock Renaissance, uh, a book written uh, about the whole landscape of Canadian music from the 90s, or from the 80s to the 90s. Uh, wonderful book, if you haven't read it, please pick it up. So anyway, this band is, is trying to get over the hump of their American success, and they're, they're feeling this uh, kind of both ends of the spectrum here, guys, of having this album where they're achieving massive success within their own country, and they're looking down south where kind of careers are made and stars are born, and the, the, southern, United, or the southern part of this continent is, is kind of saying no to them, um, it doesn't diminish this album one bit, an album that is an eclectic mix of different styles, an album that has six singles on it, an album that, uh, as I said, I mean, it's, it's a favorite amongst uh, the Canadian music scene, amongst the Canadian population. If you were to pull uh, music writers and if you were to pull kind of radio stations and these types, uh, they would probably say this is the best offering from the Tragically Hip. Uh, songs like Weak Kings, 50 Mission Cap, 100th Meridian, Courage, 
uh, the list goes on and on. So what do you guys think? I know, John, you're, you're firmly in the camp of Road Apples is the best, the best. album that the hip has ever... Uh, I don't want to hear any more about it. Yeah, that they that they made it. And Brad, you are kind of on the on the fence for, with many albums, I think. And Matt, you think they're all the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think about the uh, about fully completely? Um, I'll I'll go first, and I'll I'll keep it brief and let uh, and let John come in after me. But um, I find it interesting that you say there in your intro that they were in an uncomfortable place with the uh with the producer and stuff um i did not know those those stories that you had brought in but it's interesting for me because the songwriting the songs to me sound like a band that is comfortable in their skin writing these rock tunes so where road apples was a real like we we had mentioned in the last episode like a real statement musically it's kind of balls to the wall they're really loud frantic at times always in control but like just really kind of pushing it musically being like look at here's a rock band we're ripping we're ready to go fully completely comes along and while it's still rocking uh, in a lot of places it just sounds a bit more subdued but like a more mature band that's comfortable with their sound that's pushing that to the next level um and when I look at this album, like you said, they got some of the most recognizable and beloved hits. The 100th Meridian, you mentioned fully completely. But I also start, I look at, I look down the track list and I see a bunch of tracks that I think I want to skip. Pigeon Camera. Pigeon Camera, Lionize, Will Go To. You know, I, it's, I kind of forget how good these songs actually are. And when I just look at it, I'm like, eh, yeah, I could probably go past that one. But when I started, you know, going back and really listening to this album in preparation for this show, you, can, you can't skip them. They start and you realize how great they actually are. So there's some hidden gems here. Um, I think, John, you're going you're gonna to mention We'll Go To a little later, so I won't sort of give it away. But I mean, just you know, a song like Lion Eyes that for me, like I said, may get passed over. It's some really great, some really great lyrics in there, really great driving song. So that's kind of the story of, of the album for me. And can I say, I'll throw it to you guys. Is this not the most like overtly Canadian that they've done to date? Road Apples had some Canadian references in there, but this one I think is chock full of Canadian references, themes, history, even um so yeah john what do you think we got a little donny brook on our hands here because i have not overtly canadian written on my album header uh, and and i'm not just going to talk in generalities i've got reference points so here we go <laughs> well uh, i've got a book so yeah, you, where's you, your you book reference material okay <laughs> well okay so uh I, yeah, I have the the Canadiana is not shoehorned in or or uh, overtly obnoxious uh, or obvious. Pardon me. Um, so Saskatoon is not name checked uh, in Wheat Kings. It's referred to as the Paris of the Prairies. CBC is mentioned, uh, but Canada is referred to as a nation. A nation mm -hmm. whispers he always knew that he'd go free. The Leafs are only mentioned in passing in Fifty Mission Cap. They're not the subject of the song. 
And the Canadian prairies are referred to as the Great Plains. Uh, in Looking for a Place to Happen, a song that you're going to do as well there, Brad, so I won't jump all over it. But that's a song that seems from the outside to be about the settlement of Canada. The word Canada or the specific mention of any locale in Canada are never mentioned. Whereas later on, uh, it's Gord can't help himself. All he wants to do is say the names of towns on the map, it seems like. And, you know, I don't mean to be overly critical that way, but this one, I could, I could definitely, I didn't no, and I wasn't aware when Steve had said that this was their effort to break into the United States commercially, but that totally makes sense. In my estimation, a lot of their um, a lot of their Canadiana has dialed down, in my opinion. So I mean, yeah. what you're saying is, I mean, I it's I think you're both correct here. Many of yeah. their songs are about Canadian, very Canadian topics, and between topical Themes. ones of wheat. Right. Kings, which was extremely topical at the time. Everybody would be, would know what exactly what the song is about at that time, especially um, because of uh, the release from prison of David Milligard happened essentially as the album coincidentally was released. Um, right. And so, yeah, there's tons of Canadian stories, themes within here. I would agree. I hadn't thought of it exactly in this sense that it's he's not shouting the name Canada over and over and over again. But if you look at what the songs are about, I mean, it's it's about at least half the songs are about Canada in some way. Do you, do you think that either you know there was pressure from the outside or he made a conscious decision to scrub the references? Maybe keep, keep the content. You know, you write the song about the same thing, but. But just, you know, instead of saying, you know, Saskatoon, you, you know, you kind of, uh, you, you know what I'm saying. Were they, were they basically, I, was the nation taken out of it a little bit? Yeah, I personally, I, I doubt that they, it would be a conscious effort to, to do that. I think it's just Paris of the Prairie sounds a lot better, sure. you know, than, than sure. Saskatoon. Um, mm-hmm. And I agree with what you're saying. Um, I guess maybe it's, you know, fr- from the Canadian perspective. And from what we, you know, the lore of the album that sort of gets. And because the Tragically Hip is now known as like such a Canadian band. And that's kind of all we've always, people have always struggled to to figure out why they never made it into the U.S. Maybe that's why I'm looking at it and seeing all these reference points to Canada. And they're very obvious for me, but... Like you, like you point out, they might not be as obvious for, you know, a listener that's not as familiar with sure. Canadian culture or whatever. Right. So, yeah. If you were, yeah. if you were Joe America, you know, um, you you would maybe not know the, the songs aren't yeah. specific. But um, I think I think there's a good point though to be made though that um, you know you've brought it up in previous episodes, John. I think about the um, allure that. American culture and especially American music culture can have to us Canadians or Canadian bands. Sure. And so I think there's probably some of that stuff in there too. Um, in hundredth Meridian, which I will speak about, you know, there is like, I think American is right in the lyrics. So yeah, he doesn't overtly say anything about Canada. He actually uses America. And like you said, the great plains, I think that might be an American term, right? But to me, it still reeks of Canadian themes and history. And I think he also uses um, the history of the whole continent. Like a lot of times, especially when we're speaking of 
where the discovery, you mm-hmm. know, or the right. colonization of North America, he right. kind of lumps Canadian and America or Canada and America into the same, you know, views it as one whole process. Sure. Well, sure. Yeah. I think that we're going to get into all this and more yes. as we go through I, the songs. I, I do just have a couple, you know, just general thoughts uh, about the album. Um, this is the first album uh, with a titular song uh, and a titular cover. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're using the word titular as if though it's a regular word oh, yeah. that people just use sure, sure, so no that problems. people understand what you mean. But uh, yeah. maybe maybe dive into uh, titular here for us. Sure. Head first, John, please. There's four. Frankly, t- I'm titillated at the moment. Yeah. yeah, good. Well, there's four tits on the cover of the album. <laughs> So that's all. Yeah, I guess that's so all. there you guys yeah. have it. That's yeah, yeah, two pairs for for those math majors at home. No, <laughs> no. Uh, this is uh, this is the first song. Uh, this is the first album that uh, the title of the album is taken um, uh, from the name of a song contained therein. This is uh, otherwise uh, they had gone with. The self-titled EP, which we covered, and then Road Apples was a kind of a mood that the band was in, I believe, with um, really high-paced touring, and uh, and up to here again, an, another sort of you know concept title. So this is the first one where they've they've like tried to push a track. Um, this is also the first album with what I would call a work of art on the cover. Uh, Road Apples uh, didn't have a picture of the group. Uh, but it is far more of a straight-ahead visual than the beautiful, fully, completely cover. Um, best cover, hands down. I, For I, sure. I think I, I would agree. Also, you know, because it does look like a painting, the band are there. There, there is a picture of everybody in the band. Mm-hmm. Gord's got that fish thrust into his face, which is just great. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, the album artwork coincides with the development uh, of the band's artistic sensibility. I think that this is a fairly like we're seeing the band buck their blues roots a little bit even though there are pretty good jammers on this song um it's not an unfamiliar progression to have a band start with a very bluesy sound and then develop a sound outside of that and Mm -hmm. and then that sort of becomes their trademark sound i think what we're hearing is the hip develop their trademark sound yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. It's like they're now like comfortable with yeah. what they're doing. You know, this is yeah. Yeah, yeah they found they sound fully realized. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, but again, I like the blues. Road Apples was the was the best for me. Just we a, know. We know. <laughs> just a quick note on the album cover. I believe it was the artist was Franz Prince. I believe his name was um, Dutch. We're going off memory here, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually did not sell them the the art. He he licensed it for them. They gave him, I believe, uh, Bob Baker gave him. Uh, he wanted a scene of, of. Um, it was both. He wanted to be to be overindulgent and also include all these things. Anyway, Bob Baker gave him the description of the album that he wanted. He made the drawing, and he licensed it to them later on years later the band actually purchased that painting from an art gallery in california because they loved it so much so good take Mm. on the art cover Mm. um and or the cover art there and it's uh pretty interesting on the back of the album i was going to talk about this later the back of the album is also the songs are in uh not in order of what the songs are on in Mm -hmm. the album um and i'm 
one thing I want to mention to you guys. It's in. Well, yeah, it is frustrating. <laughs> one thing I wanted to get people to try is is listen to it in the order that it's in on the back of the album. It's actually a pretty cool listen, uh, rather than in the order of. Um, the numerical order as it's listed on the back. And also to Wizard of Oz yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's Actually, dive into some uh, songs you sync here. it up to Littlest Hobo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Something yeah. Canadian, right? <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. So I am going to start us off um, with the first track on the album, uh, Courage for Hugh McLennan. Okay, so the this is a, a song written um, kind of an ode to a, a great Canadian writer, uh, Hugh McLennan. Um, the book specifically specifically is called uh, "The Watch That Ends the Night." Um, he's also the writer of "Barometer Rising," uh, probably one of the first kind of Canadian, true Canadian authors that made his name as a Canadian and actually started to frame the Canadian identity as a worldwide famous author, uh, winner of several awards. This is known as his best work, and it's something that um, Gord famously references as something that he read on tour, on the Road Apples tour, um, <clears throat> and it had a profound effect on him, and, and kind of he, he ripped the words from the book and tossed them right in to the song, which he actually felt guilty about, um, but he just had to. They were too juicy. Um, not to use, so of course then he references the the author of the book in the song title itself um, as kind of just a credit, I guess. Um, listen, the song Courage is, is fairly straightforward in, in and of itself, but those words are often debated and people sing them at the top of their their lungs, but I believe I've heard you, you Brad, say this, that... Uh, that's a verse that people will shout and sing, but not really know what it means. Um, it's an interesting one, that's for sure. But if you think about courage, uh, courage in, in, of its, in and of itself is all about uh, making a choice and a difficult choice at that. Um, it's about what it is to be human is to make these choices because of course um, we are forever entangled in all of these different priorities and we have to rank them between morals, ethics, beliefs, family, politics, um, duty, the, the list goes on and on and, and oftentimes we have to pick one over, over the other and, and no matter what the result of that is, we deal with those consequences and that's kind of what uh, pressure is. He, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the, that line or those the line from the book in a moment, but um, he he opens the song with um, a nice line that kind of frames the scene of introspective uh, humanism or, or kind of someone who is able to make that choice. Watch the band through a bunch of dancers quickly follow the unknown. So right there, he's kind of framing a nice scene there of someone who's, who's able to make a... Um, those choices later on. Um, courage is something that was very relatable to uh, what Gord did after the diagnosis of his illness. I mean, when you think about it, he he goes outwards and, and fast very quickly after the diagnosis and, and, 
and rather than kind of bringing in his loved ones and, and looking inwards like many people who are diagnosed with terminal illness d uh, do, he decides that there's more important things that he has to go on tour. And it's not just because of the music. I think that was a huge part of it, but it was also because of he wanted to get across um, a message as well. Um, we all know Gord's work as he, uh, he did it with First Nations and also, um, you know, he was politically inspired to, to kind of do these things. And I think that was part of the reason. Um, so yeah, I mean, the book is also kind of about making those choices. I don't know if you guys have ever read that book. Um, I've read pieces of it, um, not the whole thing. But it's about making those choices between uh, there's uh, there's three main characters. There's a doctor who goes overseas uh, during the war, and then is for to do work with um, to do work or he he leaves before the war and he does work with um, different kind of people in need overseas. He's politically motivated. He's a socialist. And then there's his best friend who he leaves behind who doesn't go over. And then there's his um, wife who his best friend ends up marrying. And then he comes back after um, they think he's dead. And then they all kind of have this um, difficult time together as the wife is also dying. So there's all these stories of courage within that. Um, and the, the husband who abandoned her to go over seas ends up treating her as well with the new husband, his best friend, still there, kind of left to wonder what's going on. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a powerful song. I think if we, if I were just to read the, um, uh, the verse that's so famous, there's no simple explanation for anything important any of us do. And yeah, the human tragedy consists in the necessity of living with the consequences under pressure. And I think that, I mean, we talked last time about how songs um, become real, right? Gord wrote this in 1992, but then 25 years later, this song became his reality, right? We talked about that last mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. um, as well. So he writes so many songs and this is one of them, but then he's kind of, turns into the living embodiment of this song. Um, there's not a ton of imagery in this song other than the opening lines, um, sleepwalking so fast asleep in, in a motel that has the lay of home. We cling to things that are familiar when we're going through um, these kind of tumultuous times of, of difficult choices. Um, so I think that's what he's talking about there. Um, piss on all your backgrounds and piss on all your surroundings. I think that kind of um, weaves its way in there with that as well, uh, being kind of really upset with the whole situation and, and what's going on and being emotionally <clears throat> uh, volatile as well. So yeah, that's kind of my rambling um, <laughs> take on courage i think it's an important song and i think it's really um yeah i think it's really cool that he got to play that song uh for a few final times as he was living this choice that he was making um i mean i 
this is just sort of something I'd heard. So I, you know, I've never read the book and I, I don't know much about Hugh McLennan. I've been calling him Hugh McClellan all morning. So I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm a, an authority, but it was my understanding that, um, that the specific reference to courage is about not having the follow through to, um, to commit suicide, uh, as it was, was something I had understood. And so the idea was, you know, courage couldn't come at a worse time. I mean, there's just not, there's not a, there's not a worse time to, to, to have an act of bravery or to do something difficult than, uh, than at that point when you're feeling sort of at your lowest. I, uh, I don't know. Again, that's just something I sort of heard. Um, I don't know. Have you guys ever heard that either? That's, that's, it explains the line. It couldn't come at a worse time. Um, hmm. you mean like the person that's contemplating doing the act gets the courage to not do it? No, doesn't get the courage to do hmm. it. See, cause when I hear courage couldn't come at a worse time, it's, it's to me, it's like, you don't want to stick your neck out. Like you don't like shit. I've gotten the courage. All of a sudden the courage came to me to make this difficult choice and to do the right thing. Uh, even though I didn't want to, you know, I, I wanted to just stay in the back. And I guess that kind of goes to more to some of the story, the themes in the story that Steve was, was just talking about. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I can't remember specifically where I got this idea in my head, but I had kind of understood it that, you know, this, you know, you had had a, you, you had cowardly come back from the edge of suicide, you know, but that's, but that's sort of okay. You know, Cour courage couldn't come yeah. at a worse time. I also think that it, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention, um, uh, something more familiar, how he says, you know, follow the unknown with something more familiar. This is a totally just a disgruntled artist thing where it's like, play the hits like you know mm. play brown eyed girl play brown eyed girl you know <laughs> and like and so um you know i i think that that is sort of that that comes into it and i've always sort of thought about it where gord has the courage to play these new songs this new material that no one else wants to hear and it couldn't come <laughs> at a worse time because everybody wants to hear you play the hits which i, yeah. I i've thought about it that way but again I don't know. I might be a little bit twisted on this sort of stuff. So no, I, no, think... I mean it makes, yeah, it makes sense. And I think we've mentioned in previous episodes already too that there's never, there's never just one meaning to these. I think Gord's working on many levels all the time. Well, po so. poetry is um, the ambiguity inside. You know, works of poetry and song is welcomed by the authors. Usually, the fact mm -hmm. it makes it bigger makes it more accessible and it endears it to, you know, uh, the consumer, the crowd, the audience much more when they can think they know what it means. But I, I know what it means. <laughs> but yeah, well, you could think you know what it means and make whole podcasts about yeah, exactly. it. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think that, uh, I'm kind of with Brad on this. I hadn't heard the suicide take, um, Interesting, I suppose. Um, wouldn't it? I would think that the courage couldn't come at a at a better time. 
If you're about to off yourself. No, it's not about... It's like having the courage to jump off the edge of a building. So you're better to chicken shit out. Courage and cur- survive. Yeah, courage yeah. couldn't come at a worse time. Now you're going to be courageous? That's... that. Yeah, I'll, I see what you're saying. I'll stop reinforcing my 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 view on that or whatever, but I just want to make sure you guys understand what I, what I was trying to say. Yeah, I think this song can be taken in a, a very big way, a very grandiose way, as kind of I presented it, and, and we go to these big uh, notions of choice and all this, sure. but it also can be whittled down to the very small, like... Um, what song you would play in a show or are you going to sure. play mostly your new songs or mm-hmm. um, are you going to, you know, stick with the favorites and this kind of a thing. Um, so maybe that's part of the beauty of this song as well as just being that courage is kind of a, a, a term that can fit many different scales and many different um, kind of consequences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, but it's still present in all of these decisions. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great song. It's a it's a rocker, you know. It's it's there's nothing too that, complicated about the melody or that kicks the album off. It right? kicks the album off. Yeah. Uh, great great tune. No surprise that it's become a a crowd favorite, and it's uh, a great live song as well. So. Amazing and first that, line, too, for, yeah. for a record. Watch the band. Yeah. Like, even yeah. just you yeah, take yeah. it in just by itself, It's a, that's yeah. that's awesome. Well, yeah. when I hear the line, watch the band through a bunch of dancers, I can see it, like, yeah. right away. And I, you know, we've all been to many Tragically Hip shows, but sure. I can, as soon as I, I hear that line, I can see them through a bunch of dancers. Sure, yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So, I mean... It's cool. That's that's tremendous imagery mm-hmm. right there. Um, and I think we have to mention that uh, Gord wearing the Boston Bruins jersey in the music video. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, yeah. Spurning all those Leafs fans, not to bring too much hockey into it. but <laughs> Just another plea to Americans in yeah. their Leafs yeah. Canadian <laughs> offering. Uh, Bruins fan, him and Don Cherry and, and uh, oh boy, godson of... Gary Sinden. That's right. <laughs> um, I think it's but yeah. Oh, never mind. That's all right. I think it's Harry Sinden. I don't think so. I don't know. We'll we'll fact check that and then cut that. Where's out. your book on If that I'm one? wrong, if I'm right though, that's staying in. <laughs> okay, um, we're moving on now to Brad. All right. Yeah, let me take it away. Uh, this is I'm going to be discussing the second track on the album looking for a place to happen and first off i just want to say that i just love the guitar sound on this song as it opens this distorted fuzz that they have on the opening chords just amazing and when when you listen back and i listen back to this song i encourage you to do so Focus on the noodling and little harmonics that Bobby Baker is dropping in ever so slightly over the the rhythm, the chugging rhythm of the song. It's just, there's some really cool guitar things going on in there that, like a lot of hip songs, it's about the the sum of the parts, you know? And sometimes, unless you focus on it, um, you miss some of that. So this is a really good one for that. Um, And then to, to break down the song, what I think it means, I'm going to say, I think it's pretty obviously about explorers, 
coming to, we won't say Canada, I'll say North America for John so we don't get too contentious about whether it's overtly Canadian or not. Come at me, but, bro. Come at me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's about uh, the discovery of the continent and, you know, encounters with uh, the Native Americans and some of the history behind that. You know, it opens up, you know, I've got a job, I explore, I follow every little whiff and I want my life to smell like this. You know, there's pride in the job of the explorer. And I think that's another theme that kind of comes through. This is like man's need to explore, like why, you know, the restfulness, restlessness um, of humanity and why we're always pushing, finding these new places, progress, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then to find a place, an ancient race, the kind you'd like to gamble with. I think that's pretty obviously a nod to uh, the encounters with the first encounters with the Native Americans and the subsequent exploitation. Uh, that they suffered at the hands of, of Europeans. Um, and I mean, this is, if you jump to the third verse, you can see this theme pretty obviously as well. Um, Jacques Cartier, right this way. Jacques Cartier, that might be pretty overtly Canadian there, John. The guy who claimed the, the territory that is now Canada for France. Um, I'll put your coat up on the bed. Hey man, you've got a real bum's eye for clothes. And come on in, sit right down. No, you're not the first to show. We've all been here since God who knows. I think that's the, the Native American speaking to Jacques Cartier. Um, and then to kind of get at the second theme that I was talking about, you know, the mindset, getting to the mindset of the explorers or humanity in general, this restlessness, this need to explore, push, travel, progress. I think that's the second verse here with, um, it's a shame to leave this masterpiece with its gallery gods and its garbage bag trees. So I'll paint a scene from memory so I'd know who murdered me. It's a vain pursuit, but it helps me to sleep. So I don't know if, you know, like I don't, don't want to try and be too explicit with what does it mean? What's the masterpiece? It's a shame to leave this masterpiece. Is that is that leaving Europe and coming to a new continent? Or is that even just you found these beautiful places along the way in your travels, hmm. but you must always be leaving to a new one. You got to always be pushing to find another one. So what am I going to do? I'm going to paint the scene from memory so I'd know who murdered me. And that's, you know, recording your journey, mapping the new territory for posterity. Even though you know that this pursuit will murder you, you'll either die along the way or you'll never come back, you know, and it's a vain pursuit for sure it is. You're doing it for glory, for the, the pride of humanity or whatever. Um, but that's what helps you to sleep. So to me, that's what, that's what this song is about. That's the main themes that I get from it. I love the lines, uh, garbage bag trees shows up in, in, a, in another song, which we'll mention. Um, but that line with its gallery gods and its garbage bag trees, uh, I'd be interested to see if you guys have any specific thoughts on that line. And also the, um, Hey man, you've got a real bum's eye for clothes. I've, I've often thought about that and I think about it in terms of like, you know, these, if it is, you know, from the perspective of the Native Americans looking at a European coming, the, the obvious difference in dress that the two would have and how often from a European perspective, they look at Native um, clothing or technology or whatever, you know, would, as being primitive. And you would almost say they have the bum's eye for clothes, but... You might be, they might be flipping that, he might be flipping that around. I don't know. 
who knows, um, Gord's working on many levels, as we said. But yeah, to me, I think that's that's the theme. And that's what I mean by like Canadian themes. So and again, I'll sort of throw you a little bone, John, and say, yeah, it's maybe it's not overtly. But this is what I mean when I say like historical themes about the continent and about Canada right. are present in this album. And this, you know, second track, I think, really, really shows that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Do you want to respond to that, John? I don't know if you want. I can. I oh, can. There's... I've got a take for sure. But I, Brad kind of called you out a little bit there, and I'll give you the first <laughs> shot if you'd like. Well, there's a tree uh, with a garbage bag in it in Lake Bonavista in Calgary. Oh, we've all seen garbage <laughs> bags. It's been trees. there for fuck, man. Like, I don't know. I, I would, like it's been there for 18 years. There's Let's get the fire trucks on this one. Yeah. Fire department, yeah. come on, get yeah. those bags down from the trees. If, if I could climb a tree. Oh man, would I ever? Yeah. So, but doesn't that kind of speak about waste and excess, like that that image right there? That's what makes me think that it's. Um, he's talking about leaving Europe, but I do like uh, mm-hmm. what you're saying too about you know leaving all the homes you find along the way too, and mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, I look at this was the you know just to take everybody inside the podcast. It's a little inside baseball for the listeners. We do a draft, um, snake draft, and uh, Brad had the first pick, and this was the first pick, and it was going second if he didn't pick it first. So this is a yeah. great song. Great, great song. Great really song. good song. Great song. And I'm not going to take the bait. I'm going to rise Ooh. above. Wow. Um, the bigger uh, man. Yeah. Sure. I'm going to play it. I'm gonna I bet play. That makes you feel petty, Brad. Do you yeah, feel I'm not petty I'm, over I'm there. I'm gonna play the big man card. <laughs> not in the slightest. I'm gonna play the big man card, and I'm not even gonna take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, great job, John. <laughs> That's I will Thanks. give you kudos for that. I know you're not about to do it, but oh, great job. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I love this song too. I think it's a it's a fantastic song. I completely agree, Brad. We see two perspectives in this song. We have the European perspective, the explore, explorer perspective. Uh, uh, that comes up first and then closes out the song with a couple very similar verses um, to uh, that represents the Aboriginal perspective. Um, yeah, I, when I read the Wayward Ho, Away We Go, it's a shame to, shame to leave this masterpiece. I've always kind of listened to that and thought about them leaving Europe um, with its gallery gods and garbage bag trees. Um, so I agree with both of you on that one. Uh, interestingly enough, Garbage Bag Trees make it onto this album twice as an image. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Gord's probably been saw that and just, was just tickled by that particular line of imagery and, and made it work in a couple different ways. Um, when I say, so when I, when I listen to Soul Paint a Scene from Memory so I'd know who'd murder me, it's a vain pursuit, but it helps me to sleep. I don't I, get that at all. I always thought that was that they would, to paint a scene from memory is that the canvas was the new place they were in and they were going to try to make it seem as much like Europe as they possibly could. Oh, um, no. It's a vain pursuit. Yeah, I mean, but I like the way that you you said it as well. Maybe it's just about his journal. I don't know, but... Um, it's, that's how I kind of visualized it anyway. Um, and then I love the line, uh, Jacques Cartier right this way, I'll put your coat up on the bed. Hey man, you've got the real bum's eye for clothes. I think that just, I think that's mic drop right there. I think Jacques Cartier is coming in and he's like, uh, yeah, I like to check this place out and I like to 
paint a scene from memory and maybe transform it to the way I want it. And then it's like, here's the Aboriginal people. It's like, yeah, we'll take your coat. Yeah, no, you're not the first to show up. I got news for you. You're not that yeah. important. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also you've got the real bum's eye for clothes. I mean, hey, listen, I've gone, I've never been exp an explorer for on a boat <laughs> looking for new lands or passages or or gold or whatever. I've never done that, but I've gone traveling and uh, my clothes get pretty, you know, dirty and uh, rank after, after, after traveling around a little bit. So it's kind of a fun, funny juxtaposition <clears throat> there between um, <clears throat> the proper European and how they might be dressed and how we see the, those kinds of uh, paintings of people in their fancy clothes and their beaver hats um, hey, so do you guys, do you guys remember sort of like, No, go ahead, John. Yeah, oh, well, thanks. Do you, do you guys remember, uh, hearing, hearing these songs and not thinking about what they mean? Like, uh, I know that that happens fairly quickly with a lot of this material. We start thinking about it. I know that when, you know, we were back in school, we were thinking about what these songs meant, but before you think about what these, what, what any of these songs mean and it, it's kind of like any song the the words they just kind of hit you and and uh bum's eye for clothes just sings really well oh yeah like it's just a yeah. super badass cool thing to say you know? yeah for sure yeah well and think of this other one too uh in the first verse the to find a place an ancient race the kind you'd like to gamble with yeah that's where awesome. they stamp on burning bags of shit <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah sweet. like what is this all about but, so for him it's a game and he's uh you know he's this ex european explorer and he's kind of uh got this you know cavalier view towards what it is to play with new people and and people that are yeah, clearly yeah, below yeah. him on this hierarchy of what it is to be human and and yeah, that's that's fantastic as well. So, uh, great great song. Yeah, great. Well, and then let's let's move on to the next one. So again, the next track on the album, uh, my second choice is at the hundredth meridian. Um, so bow, I think bow. this song. <laughs> bow, bow. I just love oh. I just love when this song comes on. I just. I agree. I agree. Uh, okay, go ahead. You're 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 taking the you're taking it right out of my page my notes here, Steve. <laughs> Is that uh, what you were gonna do? Were you just no. gonna bounce about bow this whole song? I, I think wasn't that's gonna a great idea. Blink but dink the whole way through. <laughs> I did. I think have it's a fine note. move. I did have the note of uh, the baseline. I just love the baseline, the one that just with the, when this song begins, when it enters, and then the the work with the wah wah pedal uh, by Baker on guitar. Man, funky grooves. Um, and then I think we can discuss this later, maybe. Uh, but the evolution that this song has gone through in in live concerts, and the way that uh, in the final times that they were playing, probably for like the last six or seven years that they were playing this song it got sped up and jammed out and just it's just a really great musical like musically it's a great song um so yeah thank you steve for preempting me on that point um but i think that this song to me is where the last one was really about the explorers uh and coming to the new land i think this song has similar themes 
but just taken, you know, 200 years into the future. So for me, it's about the Canadian landscape, obviously, or we'll say the North American landscape. Um, you have the obvious descriptions of the prairies, driving down a corduroy road, weed standing shoulder high, Ferris wheel is rusting off in the distance at the 100th meridian. I mean, that's a, just a beautiful picture. He paints a lot of really nice imageries of the prairies or the Great Plains uh, in this song. And if you're familiar with driving through those areas, you'll you'll see this. Um, but to me, I also get the sense that this is about not just colonization, but like the changing of the landscapes, these sort of untouched landscapes, and maybe about somebody pushing, like rejecting the the east coast because it's been so uh, urbanized and you're moving you're moving west to get that freedom to get back to those landscapes so in the second verse you hear left alone to get gigantic hard mm -hmm. huge and haunted to me that's the growing city that's you know when left alone it's going to grow it's going to start taking over uh, a generation so much dumber than its parents came crashing through the window <laughs> you know this is the people that are destroying the landscape and um, they're the sons and daughters of the people that found this place and um, a raven strains along the line of the road carrying a muddy old skull just i really love that line but to me that's just sort of um, a symbol of the struggle of nature and uh, and sort of progress and the wires whistle their approval you know kind of hammers that home to me um and that 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 that's what this is about. I think you can get it too from the from the opening line. Me debunk an American myth and take my life in my hands. So to that's this is where I get the sense that it's a character that's like the American myth of like progress, technology. This is what we want. And this guy being like, no, I'm going to debunk that myth. I'm going to take my life in my own hands and go to where the Great Plains begin. So maybe it's even too, it's about the people that first sort of left the initial settlements uh, on the east coast of North America and decided to strike out and make their own thing in the West, right? That that idea of the freedom of the of the West and living on the land and, and all of this, uh, rejecting sort of the, the big city society or whatever. Um, and then, I mean, the best part, the climax of the song when Gord goes into his no pause delivery of the lines, if I die of vanity, promise me, promise me. If they bury me someplace I don't want to be, you'll dig me up and transport me unceremoniously. Um, you know, to me, this is someone that doesn't want to be in the city, doesn't want to be part of that society, wants to live on the land kind of thing. So uh, dying of vanity is you've succumbed to the lure of technology and city life and all of the things that it does but if you happen if i succumb to that and they bury me someplace i don't want to be dig me up transport me away from the swollen city breeze the garbage bag trees there it is second time mm -hmm. the whispers of disease and the acts of enormity lower me slowly sadly and properly get rye cooter to sing my eulogy so yeah to me this is like get me out of there get me away from that get me back to the land uh, I think the Rikuder is just a, he's using it as a symbol of um, that sort of, again, that Western um, roots culture, the Old West. I, I believe Rikuder has a lot of music that he's um, in that style. And so I think that's just the, re the reference there. And I think that this, just to finish up here, is um, 
you could again look at it uh, from the perspective of Native Americans um, being pushed out of their lands or not wanting to be part of that um, technology, society, whatever. Um, or you can even look at it, like I said, uh, as the people that wanted to escape sort of the settlements and move west, the people that colonized the west. So you could almost see it as the tension between east and west Canada. And at the 100th meridian is where the prairies begin. And from a Canadian perspective, it's very much where we think of as like eastern Canada being separate from western Canada. And there's obvious political and you know, sort of culture differences between East and West Canada. So I think you could look at this from a number of different characters who might be opposed to, say, urbanization or the city or that way of life and then moving uh, to the freedoms of the prairies. Um, that's sort of, I don't know, I think that's probably a pretty surface level take um, of, of the song and the lyrics, um, but that's what I'm getting out of it. So again, I'll throw it to you guys. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that's, I don't have that much more to say on the lyrics of this song. Yeah, I thought that was well done. Yeah, Brad, for yeah. sure. You went through it. Um, I think that this has been a canvas for them for uh, a live, their live show mm -hmm. and has been one of the great live uh, mythological songs from their catalog that people go, you go to a Tragically Hip concert to see this song being played. Um, and they, they never disappointed in that perspective. Um, yeah, I just love the imagery in this song. Um, I think that it's not so much of a geographic difference between um, the interior plains of Canada and then, you know, the Canadian Shield region and all that. I think it's very much, um, as you said, the differences in, in perspective and attitude towards... Um, living life and how mostly in eastern canada it's kind of a urban landscape um <clears throat> and then as you move I, I should say of course we're talking about the toronto area and montreal yeah. and the saint lawrence kind of region rather than the east east of canada such as uh, the atlantic provinces um, which are also very rural and share a lot in common with um, people from the, the Great Plains. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a song about placing importance on, on values, be they West or as we perceive them kind of Eastern values in Canada. And I think, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a great tune. I guess, I guess, I don't know. I'm the, I'm the asshole this uh, this time that's cor correcting everybody on their names and stuff. But I think I'm pretty sure it's Dry Cooter. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I. The, Do we have the, a snare roll to add in? The key, the key, uh, the key line there it was left alone to get gigantic. I mean, it's it's such a great way of saying, you know. I don't know, you know, it's 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 like wide open spaces by the Dixie Chicks sort of thing, you know. Uh, and I'm not familiar with that. You're not familiar with it? Oh, well. No. Can you give us a sh a shboob doop on that song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. Really putting him on the spot. the <laughs> <laughs> Uncanny. Anyway, 
you guys can catch my uh, analysis uh, on the Dixie Chicks cast that we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I, I just think I, I think it's a really, really cool way of putting it. Um, I don't know. Uh, the next uh, the next track we're gonna do here is uh, I think I'm up is locked in the trunk of a car. Which Did is you say that again? Locked in the trunk of a car. Yeah, you said it like a, it was an uber Canadian. You said it the first time. Car. It was car. And I, yeah, in the car. Car. In the car. <laughs> All right, let's 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 try it again, uh, and then maybe Matt can use the the music after this one. Locked in the trunk of a car. So the 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 ominous way this song starts. You got. You got bell tolls almost from the guitars in the intro. Um, the whole album is pretty dark for a hip hop. Like Pigeon Camera, they couldn't resist using an actual bell in the bridge of that song. They just slam a bell. It sounds fantastic too when they do it. But the guitar sound definitely has a, a, a bell tone sound. It sounds so ominous. And um, there's a bunch of themes that continue. I mean, we talked to, they continue throughout the album. We talked about. Uh, you know the garbage bag trees there's also the um, the Spanish conquistador sort of theme song or sorry theme uh, with uh, you know with the first line in this song and also you know I've got a job I explore the whole theme of looking for a place to happen and mm-hmm. and uh, El Dorado as well um, although I think now that I've thought about it as it, you know, being a car, a man-sized Eldorado, that's certainly what he's talking about. But he keeps, he keeps hinting at these little themes, and and the one in this song that, that's really prevalent is the killer theme. Um, yeah. So uh, later on in the album, in the wherewithal, he says, "You've got to coax him slow. That's the only way that he'll confess. Tell him that the truth will help him live with less." In Wheat Kings, obviously, um, the David Milgard stuff, Zippo Lighter receives a killer's fate. Maybe it's someone standing in the killer's place. Um, and with 50 Mission Cap, there's the, the whole song is about discovering a body. Um, and this song is about how every day you're dumping the body. Uh, this is a dark and spooky album thematically, and it feels like murder's never really far from Gord's thoughts in these songs for some reason. Um... The dynamic changes that are emphasized by the repeating one-line chorus. Um, so this could be, you know, let me out and it's better for us if you don't understand. Um, this goes for both this song and the one I'm about to speak about, uh, We'll Go Too. Uh, but they do really, they, Gord really does work the dynamics. He starts at a very low point and gets very frenetic by the time he's done. Um... Uh, it feels like uh, there was something of a deliberate effort to leave the songs on this album unencumbered by gratuitous verses. I don't know if you guys felt that way either. Mm-hmm. The lyric arrangements seem to be a lot more compact versus Road Apples. Um, and the songs seem direct and often drive home their purpose with the one-line repetition, as I talked about. Um, so what a way to so- start a song about a killer with the line... They don't know how old I am. They found armor in my belly. Like, that's just, that's just amazing. Um, it's, uh, 
you know, the first line is spoken first person as some sort of beast. And the illusion is, is like a giant shark, you know, who once caught has all sorts of plunder and trophies inside its carcass. Uh, later on in the song, he refers to himself as us. He says it would be better for us if you don't understand. And I think he's speaking as both the, uh, the beast and the host, the person who's affected by it. So, um, you know, he talks about how, well, to me, he indicates how murder is a, is like a, is like a beast that enters from without and doesn't come from within. Our narrator seems to be caught in the grips of some terrifying and irresistible force. And while Downey never pardons the behavior of our killer, he never goes out of his way, or he always goes out of his way to describe uh, these as a collaborative effort. Um, I wanted to talk about the line, machine revving tension. Um, so this, you know, he says passion out of machine revving tension and lashing out at machine revving tension. This may refer to the pace of our technologically advanced society, but more likely, I think he's calling back to the Hugh McClellan line quoted, or McLennan, pardon me, there we go, <laughs> uh, line it, it quoted encouraged, uh, yea, the human tragedy consists in the necessity of living with the consequences under pressure. The pressure is our biological impulse or immoral urges which come from within, and the consequences are strictly enforced by our social surroundings which come from without. Our killer is humanized by being shown as caught within uh, those two places. Uh, and I do want to talk about one really bad line in the song. I've, I've never, I couldn't pick it out. Ever when, when I was singing along to it, it took looking at the lyrics to, to see it. Um, he says, the end of a line, a real rainbow likening luck stop. Those just aren't words. You know, it's just not, it's not a thing. He can't, he can't do that. He's got this strict rhyming scheme that he's, that he's, this inline rhyming scheme that he's trying to, uh, that he's trying to work through, you know, uh, but, but anyway, that's, the thing too is I had mentioned that a lot of the times he doesn't over enunciate the lyrics. And, um, this is a kind of one of those cases where he can some, you know, somewhat bury that line. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot more, you know, uh, there's a lot more to the song, uh, than that. Um, so I'd be interested in discussing it with you guys, but I wanted to pick out a couple of things that, uh, that might've gone by the wayside. So, this is uh, Gord at his darkest, and this is the, to my knowledge, the only serial killer song he wrote. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. How does it strike you guys, Steve? Well, <clears throat> um, I see this song, I've always listened to this song as the companion to the Highway Girl rant that we talked about Ooh. in the first uh, episode of Cast of the Unplugged Gems. Mm. Um, and so, therefore, that's always colored my impression of this of this song and the and because of that, I've always seen this song as a song about uh, essentially as someone who's you know severely as you said he's schizophrenic right. Mm -hmm. There's uh, you know he's imagining himself with the grandeur of being um, a conquistador. He's got armor in his belly. He's been doing this for hundreds of years. Like this is someone who's I've always seen it as someone who's lost the plot on reality and then when it gets into the passion out of machine revving tension, lashing out at machine revving tension, I don't know, I always picture these kind of old movies of people behind their um you know, behind the steering wheel and there he's just got rage in his eyes and he's put he's got his foot down on the gas and then um 
you know, that's just kind of, again, I see that as someone who's kind of just lost it, but then, um, and th that also plays into, uh, it'd be better for us if you don't understand. So him talking about himself, I think he's also talking about the person in the, the victim, trunk, the victim, the right. victim as well, yeah. um, as you know, someone presumably dead. Um, <clears throat> so that's always how I've, uh, listen to this song interestingly enough doing some research for this album gord said that most of his songs most of the songs on this album and this isn't necessarily representative of their writing process as a whole but on this particular album the music was written first and Whoa. he put the words to the music so i think that probably um goes to what you were saying about the the uh repeating emphasis of the lines and how it seems like it's fit within a framework. Yeah, I mean, I kind of discuss it in the next song as well because he uses the museum after dark theme mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. again. And and I kind of offer maybe my explanation for why that happens, but that makes a ton of sense because then you... you what you end up doing if you've got the music first is you hold yourself more closely to... Uh, finished works of poetry is, is the way that that would happen. Yeah, and that right. might also explain a line like, end of a line, a real rainbow lightning luck stop, you know. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but is what you, we could shit on that line, but the line right after it, where you could say I became chronologically fucked up, yeah. I love that line. Uh -huh. I it's really a, it's love another, that line. another gourd F-bomb yeah. or, or fuck bomb. Fuck bomb. If, yeah. If you're on a podcast. But it's just to... Uh, it, such a poetic way to say i have no idea what's going on right you know like right. as this person you know this character this serial killer character that is disassociating from reality and all this stuff um i mean if for for my take on the song i think you guys nailed it i love john that you brought up the the way the guitars and stuff sound at the beginning of the song and the way that this song builds yeah to the to the very end where we have Gord taking on either the persona of a victim in the trunk of the car mm -hmm. and which is locked the title locked in the trunk of a car or he's the person who is consumed by the alter ego uh, that is the killer that it's driving him to kill and he does not want to do this anymore and he's just screaming let me out <laughs> have you for guys, the last you yeah. know have bits you, of the song have you guys heard him put that into little bones so we didn't talk about it when we when we did the uh, the Road Apples episode. Little Bones is about his cat that gets lost on a chicken farm and presumably put into the meat is is what the song is about. Um, have you ever heard him do in Little Bones? Let me let me meow meow. <laughs> <laughs> like he's certainly got a sense of uh, of humor or play about yeah. a lot of these things, especially when it comes to these uh, the things he does over the jam outs. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's uh, a dark sense of humor. And yeah. like you said, this this album itself has a lot of dark themes on it. This is obviously the the most dark. And I just want to say one of my favorite hip songs of all time. Um, and as a person that watches a lot of documentaries about serial killers and murders, I think I could do it. Yeah, sorry. I'm yeah. into it. <laughs> I love the song because it really does capture what's so like so much of what you know these themes that come out of these people like this idea yeah. like you were saying 
the duality of it and that it comes from without. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but this is what people who are afflicted with this will say. It's like, it's not me doing it. You yeah. know, like I'm consumed. I'm possessed by this thing to do this. It's the, so it's, it's like, the, I don't know. It's the Wendigo defense, right? Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No. And it makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I, th- I want to ask you guys this because I've, this gets floated around all the time yeah. as a meaning for the song and I don't really buy it, but it's the FLQ link. I've heard that. The FLQ crisis where Mm -hmm. the politician was kidnapped by the Quebec separatist movement and put in a trunk of a car Mm -hmm. where he later died. And they kind of like the defense was kind of like, we didn't mean to kill him, but he suffocated in the trunk by, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so there's this whole thing. But I mean, other than the obvious, he's in the car and he died. Nothing else in the lyrics seems to make no. Make this sense is to this that, is like you know? a troubled loner yeah. uh, more. You yeah, know? and the like highway serial killer. You know, he, when he says uh, every day I'm dumping the body, I don't think he's saying you know every day I'm committing a new murder. I think it's about carrying the guilt with you, which sure, yeah, which yeah. you know, if this was done for political reasons by an activist group, that doesn't fit any of the narratives. But yeah, you know, it, it is interesting the way that he uses. Like, because again, I think the whole explorer conquistador, you know, reference in this one, and then also El Dorado later, it's just a red herring. It's just sort of something put in there for color. Like it's really, mm-hmm. in my opinion anyway, uh, but, but really, really cool how that, that theme runs through now too. Right. Uh, I, I got to talk about, uh, we'll go to, um, this to me is a step forward in the guitar composition uh, from the band. A real pop rock sensibility, to be honest. It's got a very ethereal quality that wasn't present in previous work. Um, and uh, I, I had always kind of regarded it as a, a simple uh, message of morality uh, and acceptance of that morality because of the chorus. You know, the chorus goes, what can you do? They've all gone, we'll go too which is enough to draw my interest in profiling this song. Um, and as mentioned in previous episodes, some of Gord's lyrics have taken on unintended significance after the news of his terminal illness. And this song certainly falls into that category. And seeing it performed on the last tour wetted my cheeks some. Uh, however straightforward the chorus may be, it still felt incongruous with the lyrics of the verse. Um, and after looking harder at it, I kind of believe that the true meaning of the song has more to do with the relationship between performer and audience. Um, <clears throat> to boldly clap in a room full of nothing. This image conjures up the notion of how difficult it can be to break with silence or the status quo and express yourself or make your presence felt. Shouting into the void uh, is a big part of creating art of any kind. Uh, and you can't be afraid to ripple the water. Our song takes place in Gord's favorite place, the museum after dark. They, mm-hmm. they in the chorus are the audience or museum goers. And we refers to Gord and his bandmates or just the exhibits of art. The museum locked up after close and all the patrons have left. So all the exhibitions are essentially rendered meaningless and it's a tree falls in the woods type of thing. Is there any purpose to what they're doing without, uh, you know, the other part of the equation without people to see it or regard it. Um, but every morning the curtain climbs over him and it's showtime once again, which is actually kind Mm. of, kind of a nice regenerative message as opposed to the sort of blunt finality of the chorus, like 
they're dead, you'll be dead. That's all there is. You're going to be dead. You know, like it's just a very, you know, like it hits with a thud, you know. Um, so uh, there's also this uh, idea of engaging the audience. Uh, the line is to coldly slap at a face full of nothing. He shows a bit of contempt towards the onlookers. He describes the act of addressing them as boldly slapping them. Um, there's a desire in performance to elicit an emotional response and he characterizes the crowd as very thoughtless or unmoved, but then walks it back in the very next line when he says, you know, I don't know, it could have been one of those looks of longing, you know, when people get caught in their own thoughts. Um, one line I never really understood before, like I couldn't quite pick out is he says, I don't know why I'm so immunized against reforming and it shows a sense of static self um i guess he's saying he's resistant to change as if his art uh is a static image like a painting and all he's capable of is performing his rigidly set act again you know something familiar uh but this could be just a, this could be like that idea that you said about sure play the hits play the hits yeah you know? yeah and it's like ah i'm you know why do i want to stay in the safe place you know should i yeah or should i reform and go to the new so you know it, it, uh, so the line is i don't know why i'm so immunized against reforming what you're saying is maybe it's more like why should i be so immunized mm -hmm. against reforming um mm -hmm. so uh the museum after dark or museum after closing metaphor is used here uh, he says the museum's locked and it's long since past closing. This is one of Gord's continuing ideas and he uses this metaphor in Wheat Kings later on in the, al in the album. It's a museum and we're all locked up in it after dark. Um, it's also in Scared on the Day for mm -hmm. Night album. You're in Russia, more than a million works of art are risked out to the woods and when the Nazis find the whole place dark, they th they'll think God left the museum for good. Uh, and there's also a... a even a weaker connection to the way Gord describes uninhabited or unmonitored scenery in apartment song from trouble in the hen house. What our apartment does when we're not around does not concern us. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about the idea of overarching themes. Um, so this will get kind of in depth. Um, but, um, there's two overarching themes in the songs I did. There's the Museum After Dark, and there's also the killer body discovery dumper accuser in the song Locked in the Trunk of a Car um, and, you know, 50 Mission <laughs> Cap. And uh, yeah. uh, So if you've never written songs or poetry before, it might be hard to envision a songwriter deliberately inserting running themes from piece to piece. The idea that someone could sit at a desk and churn out material and still have that material observe a series of larger ideas, ideas that hold the individual songs to each other, seems like a daunting or even outright impossible task. But usually this isn't really done with any sense of purpose. Instead, the themes occupy your thoughts and begin to pervade anything that you may be writing or working on. I really enjoy the fact that I can tell these lyrics are all written chronologically close to one another. And while the product is less a concept album than a group of songs, you can get a really good sense of what Gord was feeling or thinking at the time. And that is, of course, dark. It's a dark fucking album in your car dark. in your car it's a dark <laughs> album in your car uh, 
Um, so I, I know that that might be a little bit grandiose, but I, it's something that I think about and, and something that, you know, when you end up seeing these things crop up in these songs that are written close together, it, it does, you know, make a little bit more sense when Steve, you'd said that all the completed works of poetry were overlaid over top of existing, uh, you know, musical compositions. That makes total sense. I think it's then you sli would... slightly different than that. Sorry. I think... What, what I remember him saying was that he wrote the poetry to the song. Oh, okay. So it's not like he had these... I mean, I'm sure he had in the works lots right. of different themes and ideas and, and lines and stuff like this. Sure. But he heard the music and then he put... Then he wrote the words. Oh, really? Then he okay. composed. Right. Well, then, now that you've moved the goalpost, I'm going to say, oh, well, that's <laughs> what I was talking about all along. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing people can rewind their podcasts. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, but 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 that makes even more sense then. Oh my god! Somehow, my goodness! Uh, because 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 <laughs> give him a minute, he'll find it. He'll find how it makes more sense. Because if you're forced to sit down and come and generate content based on uh, the musical compositions, well, then uh, you're going to write about you're going to be writing all the songs very, very close together. And, you know, you're going to, you're only going to be able to think of what you're, what you know, and you're only going to be able to recall stuff yeah. that's been rattling around in your mind over the past few weeks or months. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think there's, uh, I think you make some very interesting points. I think that when you're, I mean, it's almost, you can't help it. I mean, you're, you're a guy who writes a lot and you've written for a very long time since sure. you were, in your problem, you know, your mid teens, I presume. Sure. Um, and then that's when John learned to write. That's yes. yeah. And soon he'll learn how <laughs> to read. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Um, Hail. you, I, I don't think you're, when you're writing, I don't think that you're the, the songs or whatever it is you're writing poetry stories. I don't think that it, it could possibly leave the themes of what it is you're believing or thinking about at that time. Right. And that also has an evolution over time as clearly this band did and Gord did. I mean, we'll, we're going to be talking about the evolution of this band and, and Gord himself quite a bit. Um, unless, <clears throat> sorry, just a second, unless you take on certain works of writing as a challenge, which I think Gord is also doing from time to time, mm -hmm. where, yeah. where you're so moved by the book by Hugh McLennan, okay, McLennan, um, <laughs> that, uh, that you, that you want to write a song about that work. Mm -hmm as a challenge you're not inspired yeah. to write it you're like it's almost like a gauntlet has been thrown down or say well, or, at, or say if looking for a place to happen he was like i'm going to write a song about the settlement of canada yeah, from two perspectives yeah, yeah. and make it come together yeah yeah, yeah, yeah sure yeah, you know yeah. so so there is a way to to do things like you know almost like a challenging way totally. which i think he does a lot of too but think about how many times in it within a song he changes the perspective between two characters in a song yeah or something. it can yeah. get complicated so eh? yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i'm i have a tidbit on this song and i think it's interesting and, and i cool. you know when you when you hear gord get interviewed there's always a certain coyness there, mm -hmm. and there's also there's always a certain like you're not quite sure if he's taking the line of questioning seriously or if he's just mm -hmm. kind of if he's answering genuinely or not. And I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's dickish. And it's purposely but I think, vague. And yeah. it's the, it's the same as when you hear him intro the song because I yeah. listen to a live version where he goes, 
This is a song about an old man building a ship in a bottle who falls down dead on top of it. Exactly, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes he just says stuff, yeah. you know? So For yeah. sure. And sometimes you can take meaning out of it, sometimes you can't. Yeah. And I believe that's from the actual fully completely anniversary live recording. It is. Which, yep. um, yeah, it's a great re-release that they did. It's the only album they've re-released. So that's note little note there for you. Mm-hmm. But um, so he said that this song came to him or he wrote it it was inspired by his a dream he had and i've actually picked him out i've actually noticed this is a pattern for gord he likes to write about his dreams which makes total sense when you look at the songs there's no Hmm. linear composition there there's a lot of jumping around right um and so he said that the dream was about he was in the bar with a guy who's in a pub at the bar with a guy. This is in the dream. This is in the dream. And the guy says, the guy turns to Gord and he um, quotes Nietzsche and says, uh, God is dead. But he he does it with a certain gravitas, you know, like this is some profound thing that should move Gord. And Gord Gord misheard him in the dream and he, he heard, my dog is dead. And Gord responded, oh, yeah, you know, like, that's, and I know it's serious, I know it hurts, but it's your pet, pets die, like, it's not that big a deal, is it? <laughs> cool. So this is the conversation he has. I honestly, like, when I, when I heard the, when I listen to the song, I hear a lot of, this is the same coin, but a different side to the song Courage. Um, right. It's kind of talking about the kind of having that there's a lot of bravery in it and and mm-hmm. um clapping in an empty room and all this and mm-hmm. like having the courage to do things and to make your own choices yep. um but also it, it's kind of like uh, with a little bit of less at stake than mm-hmm. what courage presents itself as it's kind of like you know what here's your life um everybody before you has died and you're going to die and everyone else is going to die. So it's kind of like a little bit of a a resignation and you might as well, um, you might as well do what you're, what you want to do. You might as well act what, how you think is the right way and not succumb to Mm -hmm. pressures or anything like this. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's a great tune. I know Brad, you were, you were ragging on this tune earlier in the podcast. I noticed. And then, um, uh, if you'll go back and listen to the tape, you'll say that you'll notice (laughs) that I said I was wrong. You know, these are, tracks that i thought i wanted to skip and then when they play <laughs> could you I write down the time riff. where brad just said that matt no I, that's, that, that's what he said that's what he said well and and this is i we've now each one of us will have brought up this line so i'm going to bring it up too because this is the thing is when when i was thinking about that and will go to starts great guitar like you said john but to boldly clap in a room full of nothing, you never know. It could be one of those poignant evenings. Like, mm-hmm. what a great way to open a, 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 a song and beautiful line. And we've kind of talked about the clapping in the room full of nothing. But I think it's without the, the latter part of that, it could be one of those poignant evenings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just adds so much more to it. So, I mean, yeah, it's... One of the songs that, you know, maybe it doesn't stand out in terms of when we think about all the other singles and stuff that were on this album, but beautiful, really good song. And great guitar chords at the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
you've got the last uh, I got the last one here. I got the titular track. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, put that in your heads. I uh, know I got fully completely album title uh, and song title. Uh, great, great tune. Uh, one chord jam like a train speeding up and going past you and you can you can feel this one this one gets mm-hmm. to your core uh, completely like uninhibited as a song not just from uh, music or from an instrumental point of view but Gord singing to this song just seems like he's building and it just seems like a, a stream of consciousness um, release uh, mm-hmm. So, and this is one of those songs that he, like we were saying about the last song, when he intros his song, sometimes he says weird stuff, like, (laughs) this song is about the lull of Detroit, or this song is about, it just seems to be whatever he's thinking at at the time, right? This is about an old man who builds a ship and then falls dead on top of it. Um, (laughs) But this one is one that he's said multiple times is for uh, the Fidawa, the Daughters of the King, uh, yep. which is a group of women brought over from Europe to help populate the new world. So again, he's touching, he's touching on that theme. Then this is kind of like the after, this is like the post exploration, the post colonial hmm. thing that happened was, okay, well now there's more victims. Actually, we're going to bring all these ladies over, pluck them from their homes because we need to populate the new world. What's the point of having it? What's the point of painting it like Europe if we can't have the Europeans to go along with it? Um, and displacing the people that were already there if we if we outpopulate them. Exactly. Yeah. So get that's, them out of there. that's a part of the playbook for colonialism. Um, mm-hmm. And Solid move. Solid move. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, obviously Gord's exploring like the, I think this is a kind of a, if you'll pardon my use of this term, it's a bit of a feminist type of song where he's taking the role of uh, women, especially at this time, which was almost exclusively to uh, bear children. And I think he's bringing that into a more modern sense where he's exploring the uh, roles, the the gender roles between uh, men and women and the expectation uh, between uh, those two genders. So, I mean, he, I, I love the way he opens this song, bring me back in shackles, hang me long out in the sun. So this uh, kind of gives the image off of people imprisoned, uh, against their will, and they're being uh, treated like recently hunted meat, as you would to dry it out in the sun um, for, I don't know, do you do much meat drying? I don't know the process of meat drying, but that's yeah, what it seems. Yeah, you dry it right out. Yeah, they dry it, yeah. Um, but but I, I kind of thought maybe, you know, does this not harken back to the to Greek mythology? This is the punishment for the god who gave the secret of fire to man. Is he was just chained to a cliff to blister in the sun forever. I always Prometheus. Kind of, yeah, and I I always kind of thought that that's what he was referring to, but again, I don't I'm not founded on it and I didn't dig into the song at all either, so. Mm, I think there yeah, there might be some truth to that and he might be making a, a comparison or 
between the two things. I don't know, but... This song I couldn't crack. I looked at it a couple times. I thought about doing it, and I backed off it, and, and, and you rose to the challenge, too. So it's not like I have uh, a lot of wisdom on it. So I'll just stop talking. Well, I like the... I... <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you can talk in a moment, you know, I'll, I'll say my piece and then you can, you can give her a go. And it's true. It's a difficult song. If you're, if you're jumping off point is that this is about, uh, you know, if this is about the feet of wa, if that is what his kind of historical basis is for this song, then you're going to kind of look at it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a key I, I didn't have too. It makes a lot of sense. So he's so Gord says I ponder the endlessness of the stars ignoring said same of my father. So I I see this line as being uh, from the point of view of um, a woman and not necessarily a feet of But I think he's bringing us into a more contemporary time um, where he's where there's a um, a woman talking to her father, uh, and I think the 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 conversation is around. Uh, pregnancy or having a kid and I think she's looking or he's looking to convince her of the of the benefits to that and and he's saying that it'll uh, move it'll move her like it'll you know we hear about people with uh, stories of childbirth and they become pregnant or they have kids to make a change in their life right or they're doing it because of duty and they think that this is this new motherhood will um, it's what give you're them to meaning. It's what they're supposed to mm. do. It's going to move you. And I think that she's responding either it'll move me or it'll move right through me. Um, so what she's saying is, you know what, like, uh, you know, in this kind of time, I have to also consult my own thoughts and feelings towards this. I'm not just going to do it, um, out of duty or out of, um, the need or trying to fill a societal role, um, and I think that's the, the shackles. I think that is the, the trap or that's the confinement, um, where, uh, so to me there, this is completely about the, the roles of women and men birthing children, whether or not that is like a role or should women be free to completely inspect their own lives and, and experience things and maybe not have kids, right? Maybe they shouldn't be confined to that role. Um, so he uses kind of the the historical framework of this, and that's uh, part of what I see as the meaning of the song. Um, I love it when Gord goes into the final verse in the either live or on the album, and he starts rocking out with the driving guitars that are both kind of going every everyone's going they in the same direction in the song yeah. the pace the tempo increases uh bring me back in shackles and hang me long out in the sun exonerate me then forget about me wait and see wait and you'll see just wait and you'll see fully and completely so um this is a song it's a hit live i mean this is one of their another one much like um at the 100th meridian that is uh, a live favorite just because of the driving nature of it. And there's not a ton of songs like this by the hip, like from a musical standpoint, just how it kind of, it's in your face, it gets quicker, it doesn't relent. As I said, it's uninhibited. 
and then it builds to this uh, speed, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'd also be interested to hear what you guys thought about fully completely titular. <laughs> well, don't, uh, <laughs> d- don't, don't, you, don't you kind of draw a parallel with this and, uh, and Grace too? which is written from the perspective, a female perspective mm-hmm. again. And, you know, I'd never thought of it that way. And, and I think the, you know, the, uh, the daughters of the King was the, was the, you know, a key I never had to look at it. Um, this is, uh, such a great, um, driving, uh, song too. Like, it doesn't begin that way, but uh, but certainly finishes that way. This this album is really littered with a lot of the concert mainstays. Hey, mm-hmm, for sure. you know, for a song for you know for an album that has the quickly something familiar sort of blast in it or whatever, all the fam- all the familiar concert tracks are are on it. Hey, yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know with the endlessness of the stars and things like that. I I just wonder. You know, I've always kind of taken it as a more vague and surface level thing where you can stop to regard the magic around you or you can be completely unaffected by it. I mean, that's sort of the, you know, the way we live our lives in a, you know, in an ego driven world. We can think about what pertains to just us or, you know, if you look around you for any given amount of time, you can be absolutely blown away. I thought that was maybe all he meant by that, but I was thinking about birth when you were talking about it. Move right through me. Mm. I was like, holy crap, maybe there's something there. It's like a really literal... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's sort of when when it says, I ponder the endlessness of of the stars, ignoring said same of my father. So she's heard this advice. She's heard this echoed down through generations. And of course, like, there's nothing wrong with having a baby and, and women, men have babies. There's nothing negative about that. But you're sitting there pondering the endlessness of the stars. And it just seems like for this particular, for the narrator in the song, this isn't the time. Um, it's not going to move. She won't be moved to, to fulfill this duty right now. Sure. She's more concerned about just existence. And, and she wants to fill that part of her rather than um, getting filled up with a baby. Right, right. Uh, well, when you, when you mentioned that, that uh, you know, it was um, Daughters of the King, they do have different stars in Europe, too. You do see a different part of the sky. Is that not true, or does it work? Mm, uh, you see the same northern and southern hemisphere. Does it work northern and southern hemisphere? Yeah, yeah you, you I'll see the same. I'll stick to the same. Bible. Good guys. try, <laughs> good try. Uh, yeah, it's a different orientation, John, so you're not totally incorrect. So. That's okay, Brad. You don't have to cover for me. Uh, it's a different take, orientation, so you mind. see it does look different. Okay. Yeah, like, but, but you see the, the same. same constellations are present. You just see them from a different angle. And for also, for example, John, in Europe right now, it's a different time. So when we or look out the, the window the, right or, now, or, it's, or, it's light out. Or is in, that a north-south thing? <laughs> <laughs> You're getting the two mixed up, I'm afraid. But um, you know, we'll bring a globe next time, and we'll you know do a little nice, do a spin. Nice. Um, so anyway, that kind of wraps up. Or, sorry, Brad, I didn't throw it to you on fully completely. I'm not sure if you had something you wanted to. Get um, I I had I believe I if you the 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 feed a wall uh, line that you're referring to is comes from the Hexen kettle. 
Yeah, um, it's that's there's a good chance footage. of that. Yeah, yeah, that's and a great that's documentary. Really great documentary. The only problem about um, Hex and Kettle is too many song segments. They yeah, not enough full songs. Yeah, and that's actually a segue I want to get into Hex and Kettle as once we're done with this song, or once we're done this uh, this particular song. But yeah, you're right. That is from Hex and Kettle. Yeah, yeah, so that's, I mean, I always took that to be the meaning as well. And so I brought a lot of the same thoughts that you had uh, into the, into the when I see the lyrics, but I never thought about the contemporary sort of aspect of it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's always, it is also a tricky one. And I think, John, you, you know, you mentioned how it's like, there's not a lot of verses in a lot of these songs, like yeah, these yeah. sort of, you know, and I think every single one that we've talked about, there's like three verses, at least the two that I did mm-hmm. looking for a place to happen a hundredth meridian. There's three verses and mm-hmm. then some repetition of lines. And this one, you know, same kind of thing. Like when you're, when I'm looking at the lyric sheet, it's not mm-hmm. a lot, you know, so he's not uh, wasting any words. We'll say. So I think, but that does, it does, you know, add to the difficulty of trying to crack that nut, I guess. Um, but just in terms of the song generally, what like again, one of my favorite hip songs. Um, I think this is like you said, staple of the live show, the way that they play it, it's it's amazing. Um, I always if I'm driving through the prairies, if I'm doing a road trip uh, back home Road apples and fully completely are must haves mm-hmm. uh, in the car with me. Those are, you know, beautiful songs to, to drive through. They get you through the drive. They're describing the landscape and the things that have shaped the landscape that you're driving through. So, especially Canadian drives or North American stuff. So, yeah, a great, great way to uh, end our little discussion on the songs. I'm and just, I don't have too much more. I'm picturing you, Brad, in your 1988 Dodge Caravan. Uh, passion out of machine revving tension just Ooh, behind the yeah. wheel he's got the wheel uh, yeah, white knuckle tight. <laughs> lashing it out was at more my, uh, it was more my 93 honda civic oh hatchback. yeah neon green yeah yes. <laughs> um so now we've all talked about our crappy cars on this podcast too <laughs> that's sort of an unintended part of it that's right well i think that's why we that's what gets the listeners to keep listening i think um i had that car can we talk yeah. about the album again though just in a general sense I, there's a lot of songs that we didn't get to and i think we should try to touch on a few of them because there's important parts of the catalog that went uh, unmentioned in this particular podcast um but brad you were mentioning hex and kettle and hex and kettle is a, a documentary uh put together from uh their cross canada tour called another roadside attraction and this actually the tour that this the the band put together and organized another roadside attraction um was more of a festival really festival yeah yeah, for sure and it it was a summer festival in the theme uh, like kind of with the likeness to Lollapalooza um Mm -hmm. but uh contrived by the band and something that they really wanted to do I think this was uh from everything I read this tour or festival was a, a big stepping stone to the future, this band's future. So moving forward, um, I think that we're going to look back on this that particular festival and we're going to say that this these are the roots of change for this band and they're going to um, kind of uh, 
further explore and mature through their experiences on this tour. I don't know, maybe there are some listeners that were at the tour. I wasn't there. You weren't there. We were all eight years old. Um, but it was across Canada. It included many Canadian artists and performance mm-hmm. artists. Uh, it's It was packed. It was... Um, you know, they played at, you know, things like speedways or farmer's fields and things like this. And mm-hmm. um, if you if you get a chance to watch Hex and Kettle, you should. That's a, it's a phenomenal documentary. But one band that um, was there that kind of co-headlined with the hip were uh, Midnight Oil from Australia. And some people have kind of made the comparison between the Tragically Hip and Midnight Oil as kind of the national bands of these you know, somewhat similar countries, countries. Yeah. and that had experienced similar success that was limited largely to their own borders. Um, and when I hear Gord talk about them, this was a, a huge influence on how they conducted their business was spending time with this at the time older band, I guess they're still older. Um, but they were more experienced on the road and they had a, they had their way of doing things and um, highly influential to the Tragically Hip as a group. So I think that was that's an important piece of this group's history is that tour. What songs didn't get spoken about that... Because we're still in the, I don't know, era of albums right now where we're doing... S- you know, two songs respectively, and there is a ton of material left off the table. Um, yep. What songs were were you guys sort of surprised or 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 really big favorites of yours that didn't get covered? Um, I think the obvious ones in terms of just like that the fans know and that are staples of of the of the catalog and stuff is Fifty Mission Cap and uh, Wheat Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those, but like I said, there's you know, tracks that you forget about on this. Lionized being one of the wherewithal. Mm-hmm. Um, two really good songs, both really kind of, again, like rocking songs that get going um, that sort of, beca- I think it's because there's so many other great songs that sort of took off and uh, kind of characterized the band that they get forgot about. But yeah, I think those are right away just two of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 50 Mission Cap is, and We Kings, I, it's hard to say what's, who's, uh, what's your favorite, right? But, like, these are favorite tunes that are, uh, stayed in their live show forever, and people reference them all the time. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just adds, this, this is a deep album. In singles and on the B-sides, like you're saying, I don't see a lot of weakness in this album. Um, the thing that, like, so for, I know, John, you prefer Road Apples, and I do too, I think. Um, I don't know that I've ever said that. But. Sure, yeah, okay. Um, but <laughs> let, allow me just to uh, put words you in your mouth. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think that this, the, the thing that differentiates this is that it, it seems less cohesive stylistically than road apples mm-hmm. i think the band is a little bit uh they're they're being eclectic i think their songwriting is maturing at the same time mm-hmm. and they're trying different things obviously uh but it's it's a little bit looser for me in time in terms of uh just a 
as an album. Like mm-hmm. these songs stand alone as being wonderful, wonderful songs uh, that we'll always listen to. But as an album, if I'm in my 1990 Toyota Camry with with the uh, adapter, the tape deck adapter. I didn't even have a duct taped CD player. Tape deck adapter to my Discman. Yeah. Um, Shock proof on. Yeah. Anti-shock technology. But you listen to this album and it sounds like a greatest hits album. It's just like time after time after time they brought the hits. Um, Gord Downey said something pretty funny about 50 Mission Cap, uh, and I love the song. It's beauty and, and simplicity, right? But um, if I, if you'll indulge me, uh, Downey says, um, Barilko's story is almost the greatest example of being struck down in your prime after you do something great and unique. Then you have this idea of a kid having a 50 Mission Cap and wanting to get to 50 missions faster than it actually takes. So he's speaking about the Royal... Air Force, the Royal, I guess, British Air Force in World War II, um, uh, wanting to get to 50 missions faster than it actually takes, but working it in to look like it is, to look like you've had that experience and to appear to be beyond your years. But then if you like to hear someone say, won the Leafs the cup, then that might be it all it takes. So that's kind of his take on the songs. You can listen to these songs any which way you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gord does have a little bit of derision in store for the Leafs jersey wearing backwards hat beer chugging crew that screams when he says uh, Leafs won the cup or won the Leafs the yeah. cup. Road apples. We love you, yeah. Gord. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I gotta, I gotta mention, uh, our uh, our good friend John Atchison and uh, the song that reminds me most of him, El Dorado, which we didn't get a chance to cover, which has all the quirky little lyrics that Johnny loves to say to you. Look in here, it's all hardwood. I yeah. mean, <laughs> you know, the mention of Berlin makes me sexy. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of different things that you can that you can like. If you if you want to hear a song about um, a rockabilly guy who drives a Cadillac Eldorado, well, that's your song. Or if you're Johnny and you want to say "makes me sexy," uh, it's there too. <laughs> you could do that. You too. can do that yeah. too. Yeah. That's right. Just so the audience knows that you are not speaking of yourself in the fr- in the first person, <laughs> right. and, sorry, right. in third person, and and uh, you are. There's a different John. Absolutely, there's a different John. Right. Johnny Atchison. Aren't Johnny we all Atchison. a little John? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so best album. It sounds like it, Steve. Hey, best album. Um, you're putting that question to me. I'm no. The answer is no for me, and it's for the reason Whoa. that I just stated is that from a cohesion standpoint, um, oh. the way it was recorded, the different styles of music on this, I love the songs on this album, um, but for me, the answer is no. This is not my favorite album. I don't think it's the best hip album. I think they're still the best to come from this band. I think they're maturing the stepping stone all the way up to... Um, they're to a plateau that they'll hit um and um yeah like what i equated last time albums to 
uh, hockey awards, NHL awards. This one is the Art Ross. This one scores a lot. This one gets a lot of points, a lot of goals, lots of assists, um, tons of great stuff on this album. But is this the most complete player? Is this the is this the most valuable? I don't think so. I forgot to chirp you about that. I was going to say that you awarded Road Apples the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to do it on the podcast, but I'm overwhelmed by the urge to just shout names of hip albums at you until you say yes. But we won't do that right now. I would we'll completely to, take the pleasure we, we will have away to just from wait this whole process. Breath. We'll just have to wait with greater breath. Brad, how do you vote? Let me find a way to really hum and haw about this without answering the question is, you know, what I really seem to do. Do you know any trophies? Um, Trophies help, (laughs) apparently. No, I'm not the trophy guy. I'm not the trophy guy. Um, uh, Long story short, for me, it's not the best. um, But I think I'm, I'm looking at this question, too, as like best and favorite. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of leaning more towards favorite. But, you know, so 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 I will say it's not the best because it's not my favorite um but really solid album and like i said i think what did it for me as well is that even though there's all these hits i kind of like look back at that that opening thing that i talked about how it's like there's some songs that just don't even though when i look back at them and listen to them they're great they don't stick with me so that's you know, maybe I don't think of the album as a whole complete thing, kind of what Steve said. So no, not the not the best, not my favorite. Well, there we go. Brad, you've spent the last two weeks building another fence to stand on so you don't lose your balance. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Said Art Ross. That's what said I do. Art That's Ross. what I do. Said Art Ross. I'm um, being I'm very... the lady being hey, listen. podcasters. <laughs> listen. Okay, so Brad, you're up. You're hosting next episode. Next... Wait, hold on. What are your What are your final thoughts on this album? There. Oh, it's no road apples. No. <laughs> yeah, he's already he's already spent his favorite card. Yeah, well, that's how I like to do it. You just shoot your only bullet right away. <laughs> so what's then the difference? I think is it's the blues style that Road Apples presents a, a more straightforward blues if, sound if hundredth meridian and twist my arm are both concert bangers where where gord downey james brown's the bridge and gets all crazy and you know you know rat-a-tat-tat you know machine guns a lot of these ideas i like twist my arm better hmm. i like you know if we're talking about like you know super super um dark songs I, I i don't know i just i like i think the lyrics are better in in road apples um i like i like the fact that they sound a lot like uh, uh, a pub band like a small stage band mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to see their growth into a, a bigger act but i mean I guess I'm true hipster. I like the early stuff. It's just yep. what it is. Well, and I, obviously this is early in terms of relatively, but you're right. This is this is the band taking a new stage. Mm-hmm. As we discussed earlier in the podcast, this is them breaking into a new world. I don't view it as a mistake. I don't think that the growth that they accomplished from Road Apples to Fully Completely was the wrong way to develop the band. I think it's all good. It's just that I think the better album is road apples yeah and i think it's just a representative of a of a step along the way sure i don't i didn't want to hear another road apples when i flick on uh fully completely i'm not sure if i would like to hear 
another mm-hmm. very similar stylistically album, which is where yeah. you can see the bridge between up to here and Road Apples, mm-hmm. uh, the bridge between Road Apples to fully completely. It's obviously still the same band, but mm-hmm. there's less of those links in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, but this is well. We'll we'll be talking about this for the rest of this podcast because I think ev- they do. There is always something new that they're doing. They are kind of pushing it every time. Um, so watching, like you said, John, like the growth isn't a bad thing, but there is growth there. There is change, and they don't do the same thing twice. And it's kind of like some of the themes that you alluded to in this episode of you know the purpose of art and not just playing the hits and doing new things, pushing new, new boundaries as artists. And so, yeah, it's, it's the next step. And then the next album will be the next step. So, and the next album is day for night. You're hosting that episode, Brad. That's going to be delicious. Sounds great. It'll be a good one. Good stuff. Thanks boys. And tune in next time. Cast of the unplugged gems. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of the show. Please do go check out the website, hipcast.meterroom.ca. Leave us a comment and find links there to subscribe to the show. We also want to extend a big thanks to Sebastian Abood for all the podcast artwork. Please check out his website at sebastianabood.com. That's Sebastian, A-B-B-O-U-D.com. This show is produced by Matt Wacky. Check out his portfolio and all the other projects that he works on at meterroom.ca. The show is co-produced by myself, Brad Van Perdon. You can check out my work at bradleyvanperdon.wordpress.com or get in touch with me on Twitter or Instagram at bvanperdon. Many thanks again for all the listeners and to my co-hosts, Steve Bard and John Gronin. We will catch you next time.